Wow. I mean, what a great story of just legacy being passed from generation to generation. And so I just want to say thank you to Chikan and his family for sharing with us today. Well, what's going on, Willow Creek? It's so good to be with you today. Um, wherever, wherever you are watching from, at any of our locations, Crystal Lake, Chicago, Huntley, Wheaton, South Lake, South Barrington, North Shore, or online around the world, you are welcome here today. So glad to be with you. My name is Miguel. I'm one of the pastors here. But just so you can get to know me just a little bit better, I want to begin by introducing the most important people in my life. These are my people, my family. Take a good look. Beautiful, aren't they? <laughs> I am a uh, husband of 15.3 years, and there's so much I can say about my wife. But let me say this. There is no one on the planet who's had a greater influence or impact in my life than my wife. I am truly blessed to be married to her. And as you can see, I, uh, if you saw the picture, I also am a father of five kids. Five kids. I heard a wow. Wow. Five kids. That's right. I got four girls and my only begotten son. And uh, it's five kids. You know, you know, it's funny because whenever I say five kids, I get a reaction from people. Uh, and so people often ask me, go, what is it like? I mean, come on now. What is it like having five kids? Well, I remember I, I heard someone once describe it this way. They said, imagine yourself drowning. And then someone hands you a baby. It's kind of like that. <laughs> no, seriously. No, I'll get kidding aside. I mean, how many of you know that raising a child, regardless of how many you have, is the most difficult leadership position on earth? How many of you guys know this? Moms and dads? Yeah. Yeah, you feel it. Yeah, see, listen, because parents listening to this today, you get how hard it is just to wake up in the morning and go to your routine, right? You get, in fact, listen, in fact, moms and dads, you know how hard it is just to get your kids to church on Sundays. It takes major event planning skills and determination, right? I mean, you need the power of Jesus in your life to get you to church with your kids. So um, let me just say this, moms and dads, at all of our locations, if you came to church and brought your kids, your family, can I just say, well done. Come on now, let's give it up for the moms and dads. You made it to church. It's going to be a good day. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Well, come on now, raising kids is hard. It is so, so difficult. And the statistics today, listen, they're daunting. They're hard and difficult. Let me just read a few for you today. Here are some statistics. According to the 2020 U.S. Census Bureau, 18.3 million children, one in four, live without a biological step or adoptive father in the home. According to a study in 2018 from the National Institute of Mental Health, suicide was the second leading cause of death among individuals between the ages 10 and 34, and the fourth leading cause of death among individuals between the ages 35 and 54. According to a study in 2019 from Barna Group, 64% drop out of the church by the time they reach adulthood. So today, I want us to turn to the Bible. 
I want us to turn to see what the Bible has to say about all this. And I want us to look at a very familiar passage of scripture. It is well known to our church here at Willow. It is well known to churches all over the world. In fact, if you've been around any kind of Christian rhetoric, you probably have heard this story. It's a story that Jesus uses as an illustration to a crowd of people. It's the story of the lost son. It's found in Luke chapter 15, so you can go there, you can look it up, turn on your device or open your Bible, Luke chapter 15. Jesus is speaking to a very diverse crowd of people, and he uses three illustrations to draw in his point, and he uses three because we just don't get it the first time, okay? So he uses the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. I'm going to read a lot of Bible today for you, so I hope you're ready. Listen fast. Luke 15, starting in verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got, all, got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my hired servants have food to spare? My father's hired servant has has food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was a long way off, His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to his father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so the father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never even gave me a young goat so I can celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Now, come on, who's heard that story before? Who's heard the story of the lost son? Raise your hands, come on. I see your hands, Chicago, come on. Yeah, yeah. We all have, in fact, most have heard this story, but people tend to read this story and only focus on the younger rebel lost son. But if you heard correctly in the text of the scriptures, Jesus opens up the story by saying there's a man with 
two sons. Two sons. This story is actually about the relationship between the father, the parent, and his two sons, the children. Now, you probably heard of a few Greek words for love found in Scripture and elsewhere. And and there's that Greek word agape love, God's love. There's eros, romantic, erotic love. There's phileo, brotherly love. But there's also a fourth. It's storge love. It is the love between parent and child relationships. And that's what this story is all about. Now, if you notice, I got four chairs up here. This is chair number one, chair number two, chair number three, and chair number four. Say it with me. Chair number one. Come on, come on. Two, three, come on, louder. One, two, one more time. Four, come on, Crystal Lake, you got this. One more time. <laughs> that was for me. Okay, that was for me. I was just having fun. Come on, it's fun to come to church. So here's the thing. I got four chairs up here. Everyone listening to us today, everyone listening here and is a part at all of our locations, listening to this message and is with us today, listen, we are all in one of these four chairs. See, we all have something in common. We are either a parent, a child of our parents, or both. So we completely understand this relationship dynamic of parent, child, child, and parent. And all of us are in one of these four chairs. And my desire, my hope, I'm going to tell you right here from the beginning, is that all of us would choose to move to chair number one. Because chair number one is the surrender chair. This is the parent or child that probably you've given your life to Jesus and you're crazy in love with Jesus, right? Uh, you don't have to convince this parent to serve. You're probably already emailing the staff the moment you walk in. Hey, how can I connect? How can I get in a group? How can I serve? What can I leave? I want to be a part of this, right? This is the child, listen, this is the child who comes home, mom and dad, and says, you need to sign me up for Summer Smash. You need to sign me up for Sandblast, mom. I don't care if I have to like babysit or mow lawns. I got to go to the summer camp. Like that's the child, right? This is the person who you, listen, you read the Bible, not just the finish, right? And check it off the to-do list. You read the Bible to change and just be with the Father. You are surrendered, right? And when you come across something in Scripture, right, that challenges you, you don't omit that and be like, I don't really agree with that, so I'm just gonna move that aside. It's not really relevant for, no, no, no. You're surrendered. You're saying, God, this challenges me. Help my unbelief. Help me to move closer to you. All the young adults in the room, listen, even though you've moved out of the house, if you're in chair number one, you honor your parents by calling them on a regular basis. Amen, hallelujah. That was a tip for all you young adults. (laughs) That's the surrendered chair. But let's get back to the Bible. Okay, let's get back. Jesus, he's sharing this story to a very, very diverse crowd. Who's in the crowd? Well, the Bible tells us. In verse 1 of this chapter, Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Let me just tell you. That's who Jesus came for. That's who Jesus wanted to reach. People who are far from God. And that's what the church should be all about. People who are far from God coming to hear what Jesus has to say. Now, if I were to read this in like the MIV version, that is the Miguel's International Version, 
he would sound like this. Now the outcasts, the addicts, the traitors, the atheists, the hurting, those who live in urban and suburban cities, those who live immoral lives, those who feel unconnected and unwanted, those who feel like the church has abandoned them, and those who are and are not Cubs fans. (laughs) All gathered around to hear what Jesus has to say. Kind of sounds like a church I know, you know? A church that is not focused on itself, but on others. That leads me to chair number two. See, chair number two is the self-chair. This is the parent who you may follow God so long as it meets your schedule and your agenda. See, this is the child, man. You, you go it alone. You got this. You only live once, so I'm sold out for me, Right? Right? This is the child man who just, man, I'm good. I don't need my parents. I'm smarter than my parents, right? Right? You don't read the Bible. The Bible's old and boring. It's not relevant for today, right? This is the self-chair, right? It's not relevant. I don't need anybody. I don't need God. The only thing I need is just be left alone. Just leave me alone. Stop emailing me. Stop asking me to serve, Like. This is the self-chair. Now, okay, side note, parents, I get it. I know what you might be thinking. But Miguel, come on, listen, Miguel. Sometimes you just, you just need a little me time, <laughs> right? You just need a spa day. I need to binge watch something. I need, I need to just hang out. I need to just go to my bedroom and just don't bother me, right? Just need a little me time. Listen, I totally get that, okay? I get it. So don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? Humbling ourselves before God to receive and feed and be replenished is good and necessary. But there is a big difference. Listen, there's a big difference between humility and self-pity. There's a big difference between humility and self-pity. Self-pity screams for people to look at us and see how much we've suffered right? Humility, however, is the bedrock security that does not demand applause or recognition. In fact, someone said it this way, genuine humility is not thinking less of yourself, but just thinking of yourself less. But but let's keep reading, because there's another group in the crowd that Jesus is talking to. Luke 15, verse 2. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law, there they are, right? <laughs> there they are. The Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This man welcomes sinners and then he takes them to Chick-fil-A. Not my Chick-fil-A. Not my Christian chicken. Like, you know, this is the, see, the Pharisee in Scripture, um, eating with a sinner or a tax collector was to defile oneself. It was to defile oneself. For a Pharisee, righteousness came through ritual purity and separation from sinners. And it was not just a six feet socially distant kind of separation, you know. It was much, much more serious, serious than that. 
And that leads me to, to chair number three. See, chair number three is the spiritual chair. The spiritual chair. And make sure you note this down. Just because it's spiritual does not mean it's holy. Chair number three is a spiritual chair, or what we would call religion. See, this is the parent. (laughs) This is the parent that, hey, listen, you may have a relationship with Jesus, but over time, your relationship with God has become a workspace thing. This is the child who grew up in a home with parents that were or were not, right? Were or were not very religious, right? These are the parents that were very religious to their kids. And listen, over time, this child has just grown to understand just this bitterness and resentment toward their parents. Everything was a sin. Nothing was ever good enough. It was all very religious in the home. But this resentment built up so much so that this is now, listen, this is how they view God. It is an anthropomorphic view of God. Their earthly parent experience is how they view their heavenly father. And now listen, this kind of mindset, lean into this, has infiltrated our culture where now we hear things like, the Bible's just a bunch of rules. This is the spiritual chair. The Bible, just a bunch of rules. Got to keep the rules. See, parent in chair number three, they get really uncomfortable around chair number one parents. They look at chair number one parents like, hey, calm down. Calm down. My kids are asking me questions why I don't worship like that. You better chill. Right? Around chair number two people, when they walk into the room, parent number three, you know, chair number three parents are just like, uh, yeah, let's go sit somewhere else. Listen, I'm going to be really real with you today. Chair number three, parents, they do not come to church to give something. They come to church to get and to often critique. Let's see if this church is going to be good enough. If not, I'm finding another church. See, listen, that was the Pharisee in the Bible. The only reason the Pharisees followed Jesus was to discredit him, to wait for Jesus to slip up and then send him an email later about how he cannot have services like that. No, Jesus, you can't do that. You're not allowed to do that. I once heard a a parenting roadmap from a very respected leader. I'm like, this, he, ra- he and his wife raised ki- godly kids on his own, and he told me this, Miguel, listen, this is how you raise your kids. And I'm like, all right, I'm ready to take notes. It's good. He said there's four stages. First stage is caregiver. This is when they're babies. You're just giving care, right? Changing the diapers, feeding, caregiver. Then there's cop. This is when you are toddler, elementary age kids, and they're running around, stop, slow down. Don't hold my hand. Get down. Be quiet. Sit. You know, it's like borders and boundaries. You're a cop. Third phase is when they become preteen and teenagers. This is the coach stage. You know they're going to fumble and stumble and trip up, but you're there to coach them through it. Then the last stage is consultant. This is when your kids become adults. And they're making decisions on their own, having families, having friends, all that, making big life decisions, and you're there to offer advice and be a consultant. Caregiver, cop, coach, consultant. And if you want more resources, just as a little plug here, you can always go to willowcreek.org slash parents if you want parenting resources, moms and dads. You need to go there. Caregiver, cop, coach, consultant. 
But then this respected leader looked at me and he said this, Miguel, the problem is that most of us parents never get out of cop stage. We enter cop stage and we stay there in the teenage and into the adult years. We never actually become or transition into the new phase, into the things that our children need from us in the different seasons of their life. And we wonder why we have so many people who have gone to church religiously, but they're empty inside. And now the generation after them look at the church and they think it's fake and doesn't work. And now our culture today has become unchurched and de-churched. And you want to know why? Because we are really good judges of other people's sin and great lawyers of our own. We really really don't like the way people sin differently than we do. But let me get back to this Bible because it's a good story. Your Bible is legit. It's awesome. Here's what happened. So this rebellious son, that first day, he had money. He probably made a lot of friends. He went to the restaurant, the clubs, drinks on me. I mean, this was a good day. I mean, at the beginning of any rebellion, things to, seem to be good, right? It's fun. Hebrew says it's fun for a season. But then after he spent everything, a recession hit and a depression set in. He was in need. He had no money, no friends, nothing to eat. The world that he ran to did not satisfy him. In fact, it left him worse than before. And now he goes to his father and listen, he is deeply wounded. It is much more than a feeling of guilt. It is so much deeper than that. Listen to the text, Luke 15, 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, which is true. What he did was wrong. He's admitting it. But then listen to these words. I am, that's identity language. That's identity language. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. See, listen, chair number two, chair number two says, I'm good. I can do it on my own. I don't need anybody. Chair number three also says, I'm good. I can do it on my own. I can keep all the rules. And both chair two and chair three, living in these chairs always leads to the same outcome, and that's chair number four. The shame chair. The shame chair. There are so many children who are locked in shame today. Whether you're 10 years old or 90 years old, does not matter. You are a child of your earthly parents, and you've been carrying this weight of shame for years. Some of these parents that are in chair number four, you are locked in shame because you believe and you feel and think that the behavior of your kids is your identity. You fear going to parent-teacher conferences. You fear picking up your kids early from school because they've been misbehaving. This is the parent who is constantly asking, what am I doing wrong? Am I failing my kids? And you're locked in shame, hurting, in shame. Look at me, parents. Let me just say this. Parents, moms and dads, everyone, everyone look this way. Parents, 
If you think like that, let me remind you that even our heavenly father who loved and parented his children, Adam and Eve in the garden, perfectly, yet they still misbehaved on a cosmic level. Are we better than God? See, shame is a soul-crushing, identity-warping emotion. Shame is to believe that the worst about you will always be true. It's more than something we did. It's who we believe we are, which is the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is the feeling, I did bad. Shame is the idea, I am bad. You see the difference? Some of us have this sort of thinking, and it is crushing you on the inside. You are broken because of your shame, crushed by your your failed expectations, hurting because of the things you've done as a parent or haven't done as a parent, things you've done as a child or haven't done as a child. But the younger son wasn't the only one hurting here. Listen, the older brother was hurting. He was hurting as well. He refused to go in. I'm not going to that church service. He was so angry, bitter, and offended, he could only see the wrong that his brother had done and not the life change that had just taken place. So listen, whether you feel that you are so bad and struggle to perform, or whether you feel you are so good and entitled and struggle with perfectionism, both are works-based mentalities. It is not the gospel. And they always lead to shame. It is not the gospel. It is not the good news. But I get it because if we've been living in chair two and three, it is really hard to see ourselves as a child of God. Because listen, it is not about performance. It is not about perfection. It is about your position as a child of God. But I get it. It's really hard if you've been living in chair two and three to see yourself as a child of God. I get it. Because the world will seduce you to the line and then shame you when you cross it. See, let me say it this way. Shame says, I messed up. Dad is gonna kill me. But the gospel says, I messed up. I need to call my dad. Come on. Do you see the difference? And I know this too well. Listen. See, listen, growing up, I could not call my dad. And it wasn't because I I was misbehaving necessarily. See, we grew up on welfare, moved from apartment to apartment. Christmas was toys for tots. I mean, that that was life. But with all the difficulty that surrounded my life as a child, the most difficult thing was that I had an abusive father. I couldn't call my dad. And I was afraid, and I was lost. And let me just tell you, if you're listening to this today, and you've had a difficult life or family situation, Let me just tell you that our staff at all of our locations is for you. And if you are willing, we want to come alongside you and just love you 
Oh, but church, listen, I'm reading this and, and, and I, I can't help it. Things, things today are falling apart for so many people. And let me just be honest. The problem is not that things are falling apart. We live in a fallen world. Things are going to fall apart sometimes. The problem is that we feel we don't have a safe place to do it. So when things go bad and we need to be vulnerable and broken with someone, what do we do? We either run away on our own or we try to fix it on our own. Both lead to being afraid, lost, and locked in shame. And I get it because this father in the story, he knew. He knew what was going to happen. He knew what was going to take place. And I can't help to think as I'm reading the scripture and I'm understanding this even better, that this is not the story of the lost son, but the lost sons. Both sons were lost and both faced consequences. Why would the father allow them to face that? And we ask the same question, Lord, why are you allowing me to experience this? See, listen, in life, we don't always get what we want, but we always get what we choose. God has allowed choice and he also allows consequences to get back at us and say, ha ha, take that. Not at all. God doesn't allow consequences to get us back. He allows consequences to bring us back. To bring us back. Come on, church. See, my concern today is that there are so many children, so many people, parents, children, grandparents, young adults, senior adults that are locked in their shame. They've been living in chair two and three for so long that they don't even know how they got here and they feel lost. And they don't feel worthy. They, can't, they feel like they can't go to their parents, they can't go to anybody because their identity is locked in their behavior. But let me remind everybody here, it is not about a behavior. There is a God in heaven who loves you and is waiting for you to come home. It is not about a behavior. It is about a savior and his name is Jesus. <laughs> Parents, grandparents, you and I need to come to the realization that this is an all out spiritual warfare and the number one primary target for the enemy is your family. You see, in Genesis 1, God created the world. In Genesis 2, Adam and Eve were created and the two became one flesh. Family has begun. And at the end of chapter 2, it says, and they felt no shame. Praise the Lord. The very next chapter, Genesis 3. Satan is trying to get them into chair 2 and chair 3. Oh, come on. You don't need God. You can be like God. You can do it on your own. Parents, we need to lean into this. We need to get to this point where we realize that Satan is threatened by your family and he's gonna do anything he can to destroy it. Why would he do that? Because family is the greatest institution that God has ever created and he's been threatened by it since the beginning of time. 
So parents, we need to get to the place where we cannot, we cannot live in shame. We cannot live in spiritual religion. We cannot live for ourselves. We can't afford it. We have to get to a place where we have surrendered to God and say, Satan cannot have my kids. He cannot have my family. I surrender to God today. So what chair are you in? What will you do when you leave the service today? Will you surrender? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. Would you help us to make the daily choice of surrendering to you? In Jesus' name, amen.